Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blockchain Podcast. Uh, today I'm going to talk a little bit about the Brave Browser and BAT tokens, the basic attention tokens. Uh, there was recent news that uh, you can get paid to view ads now using the Brave Browser, and I'll discuss that a little bit and kind of the model behind Brave and BAT in general, and provide my thoughts and what I think. And then we'll dovetail uh, from there into discussing MakerDAO and their uh, proposed changes to the stability fee and the stability of DAI. You know, they're still having trouble pegging DAI to uh, $1, one DAI, $1. Discuss that because that's a very interesting and involved uh, sort of thing. I think that as far as all of the crypto projects uh, go, the MakerDAO and DAI um, project or uh, projects are very interesting because it touches on this concept of decentralized centralized banking if you can even say that so it's decentralized banking uh, similar to the central bank's role um, and I'll discuss that my thoughts at a high level um, also potentially how to you know kind of uh, play in that system to either make money um, potentially in the future or to maybe there's arbitrage opportunities and maybe there's even some uh, value downstream if they can get the uh, the coin to be stable and pegged at a dollar and if more adoption could happen some interesting things could happen with you know owning maker so uh, from there, I'll also touch bases on uh, the Tether Bitfinex fiasco, which is a stable coin. Tether's a stable coin. There was some news that uh, there was some misallocation of funds and potentially some aspects of fraud uh, uh, in the past related to Tether and Bitfinex. So those are the topics I think I'll cover today. All pretty interesting stuff, and uh, I'll try and talk about them as they are in the news, but also provide some, you know, higher thinking on all of the projects around those and the and the concepts behind them. With that said, uh, as always, be sure to check us out on uh, Twitter. Follow on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, leave a, 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 I guess, a like and. Uh, and uh, follow on uh, Facebook as well. We're also on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you have the uh, uh, an iPhone or, or, or uh, use iTunes, you can download the podcast there, automatically get it delivered to you. All of the podcasts are also posted to the uh, blockchain.co website. And finally, uh, I will be uh, uploading to YouTube as well uh, with an audiogram, no, no crazy visuals but you'll be able to listen to the uh, podcast there. So, so make sure you subscribe on YouTube. It'll also uh, uh, make it so I post more content there and maybe make some visual stuff too at some point. So with that housekeeping out of the way, we can jump right into the uh, first uh, first kind of story or project, which is Brave and, the, and Bat Token. So if you're not familiar with Brave, Brave is a browser, and Bat is the basic attention token. It's an ERC-20 Ethereum token, and they kind of work together in conjunction. But let's start with uh, Brave. To start with, Brave is just a, a browser, and it's a privacy-centric browser. So it's a privacy-centric and ad-blocking sort of browser. So if you go to Brave.com, you can download the browser, and uh, it'll provide you know these blocking features. You won't get the pop-ups. You won't get uh, you know those requests to whitelist the uh, your website and all that. So it's actually pretty good at all those. I think it's probably, um, from my experience, better than AdBlocker Plus and all those. And it's actually a, a pretty good experience overall as far as blocking ads and, and again, those new pop-ups that happen. So good product, I would say, overall. Um, and the BAT token or the, uh, the basic attention token is the kind of currency, if you will, or token for that project. And what they're trying to do there is, one, uh, depending on who you talk to, they 
just wanted to raise money to uh, sell the bat token in an ICO, which they did, and raise some money, and then, you know, kind of uh, cash out. But I, I think they're doing more than that. I think there is a function for the token that's that's longer term. But with all that said, and any any negative sentiment around it, there is the bat token, and that bat token is used to compensate con- content creators. Um, and right now, most of that bat comes from this uh, development fund that uh, Brave manages and so brave has i don't know hundreds of millions of bat tokens that are allocated uh to uh you know kind of growing the network whether that's through referrals uh, compensating people for referrals if they get other people to download the browser or for compensating content creators so they'll give you know an allocation to uh, people who download the brave browser so say you go get the brave browser you can request an allocation of uh, uh, bat tokens and then those bat tokens as you're viewing different websites if the uh, folks who are uh, managing those websites or those youtube channels or those twitch channels or whatever the case may be um, they can be compensated with back tokens so you can actually send them the bat tokens um, based on how often you view the different sites and if you decide to compensate them now the underlying thing which i know a little bit more on the back end about is you know the bat token is very highly um regulated when you when you get the funds from brave and you get them in the browser and they're free allocation uh and when they're allocated to content creators it's all controlled by brave a hundred percent and so they get statistics from your browser that show how much you view these different sites and if the publishers or the content creators for those different sites are signed up then uh they will eventually get those tokens now they've had issues in the past with processing significant delays if you go to the forums there's probably tons of people complaining about payout payout times I've had to deal with them and, you know, it has, wasn't a pleasant experience in their detection of fraud and their way of allocating and calculating. These things are all very suspect and all very non-transparent. And even now they have, you know, if you have your own bat tokens, you can tip people, you can tip creators. And if those creators aren't actually um, signed up with bat because you have to go through a KYC process, set up an account if you're a publisher, all these things, you know, you could be tipping people who aren't even part of the platform. And so there was a whole fiasco about that. So I would say the biggest weakness, you know, the browser is great. The Brave browser, I'd say, is pretty good. You'll have some issues with sites using it. You know, maybe it's blocking too much, but you can set those settings. And now that it's running on Chrome, you can actually use a lot of plugins and stuff. So good browser overall. But the, um, I would say the management of the BAT token, the uh, distribution of it, the very centralized nature of it, the um, black box and un, and uh, un, non-accountability with how they disperse the funds and non-transparency, there are all very negative negative downsides. So I wouldn't uh, put too much uh, credence in, in that so far or at this point. Now, what they did, released recently, this past week or so, and what's in the news, you know, as of late April here, 2019, is that they people you know who have the Brave browser, uh, they can opt in to see Brave ads. So Brave is creating their own network now, their own ad network, uh, essentially to compete with uh, Facebook and Google and all these other uh, ad providers. And the idea with the Brave browser being that they don't take all this uh, information from you, that, that it's more private, whereas Google and Facebook, obviously, they collect tons of information so that they can target you with specific ads. Now, you know, if you're into privacy, obviously, you don't want all that information given up. But at the same time, if you want targeted ads and things that are very tailored to you, maybe it's, you know, has some up, upside as well, because you're actually getting information that you may want to actually see. 
Now, all that aside, uh, uh, Brave and Bat are trying to disrupt this paradigm, and really it feels like they're just trying to become another ad provider, uh, and maybe if I'm cynical, under the guise of privacy and caring about that, because if you have to go through a KYC process and you have to provide all this information, you know, it's not as much information maybe as Google and Facebook are collecting, and maybe you also have the option of opting in or opting out. Maybe it's not so bad, but it's definitely... I feel will eventually go towards less privacy or opt in to give up your privacy. And so may end up in in the same place, you know, five, 10 years from now. But the the idea is essentially with the new brave ads that were, that are being rolled out is that people can opt in uh, using the browser to view these ads. And if they view these ads, then the viewer, um, you who's browsing the web, if you opt in, you get a portion of the rewards, which are paid out in bat and the content creator gets a portion of the rewards as well. And uh, of course, ba- Brave also gets a portion of that as well. So they get their cut, the content creator gets their cut, um, you get uh, your cut for actually viewing it. And then of course, someone who's paying for that ad, say someone like uh, you know some toothpaste company, Colgate or you know Taco Bell or who- whatever else, whoever else is advertising, they get to uh, pay for those ads, and then obviously they get distributed out, and the uh, views are tracked and so forth. And so that's kind of the system that they're trying to develop: is that you know um, that everybody is compensated based on you know uh, their willingness to receive the ads. The consumer, uh, the uh, network is being developed so that people can push ads into the network, and then of course Brave as being kind of the middleman, like Google or Facebook, is going to take their cut as well. So. What people are all, you know, trying to promote and what they're, you know, Brave is trying to promote now with their PR campaign around this is, hey, you can get paid to like look at ads and everyone, you know, in the crypto space or anywhere else is like, hey, I can pay, get paid to just like see, just surf the net. That's great. Um, now, there's a caveat to that because, again, the the back end of all this and distribution of funds and all this, uh, Brave does not allow you to actually withdraw that bat and uh, keep it for yourself and go sell it on Coinbase or wherever else. It's kind of stuck in the wallet because they haven't set up their KYC process, which is know your customer if you're not familiar. Um, it's where you have to provide a, a bit of information about yourself so that you can essentially be uh, the, the payments can be tracked and potentially, you know, they can send you, you know, tax information or, or, or uh, give it to the IRS or whatever, whatever else they're going to do with it. So you're giving up some privacy there. So it's kind of funny because, you know, there's some aspects of privacy that are, are, are baked in with the browser. But if you want to transfer any money, there's a, lo- there's a lot of KYC sort of stuff that you have to verify and do all that. But, you know, no different than any other um, system where you get paid. Now, that said, uh, like I said, you can't withdraw it, but what you can do is you can then allocate that bat to content creators and tip them, or you can distribute those for uh, viewing their content. So they're trying to create kind of this more closed system. I don't know if uh, for uh, advertisers, if they buy the ads, you know, if they have to pay in bat or uh, USD, I, I suspect they can pay in whatever they want, USD or bat. But to really close the economic loop there, they're going to have to be able to uh, pay in uh, uh, BAT, I think, because otherwise, where's the demand for the BAT going to be other than speculation? You need people having a reason for BAT. And so they're they're also saying that at some point, you know, you can use the BAT to uh, 
the bat token to buy premium content, or maybe you can subscribe to, you know, certain pages playing in bat and so forth. So they're trying to make it into this kind of currency for their ecosystem, which I think makes sense because you're going to have to balance out the demand for bat uh, and then the selling pressure that'll occur if they, you know, push all this bat out, all these people are getting paid and then they're converting it and selling it to uh, for dollars or fiat or any other currency, Bitcoin or whatever else, then you would have this big uh, downward sell pressure. So from an economic point of view, they're working on, you know, closing that loop. But from a financial point of view or appreciation or spe- uh, speculation point of view, it's unclear, you know, if, if it's going to be, you know, bullish in the longer term or if it's going to be bearish. I think the market cap today is somewhere around 400 million ish, and that's not that's not too shabby for this project. Um, and they are doing something is interesting, and they are doing something that, you know, they're leading in this space when you combine this browser privacy and, and crypto uh, currency aspect. Uh, they are doing something that uh, you know has legs of its own. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch. But if you want to check it out, you can go, like I said, to Brave.com, sign up. You know, uh, start uh, with your allocation of bat that they give you. Go visit different websites. You can figure out who you want to distribute that out to. And now it sounds like you can opt in and uh, see ads and potentially get some more bat. But you can't get any of the money yourself. You have to basically give it to someone else. So, you know, it is what it is. So um, with that, I think that's primarily the news for now uh, with bat. Um Check it out if you're interested. And let's jump over now and talk about MakerDAO and DAI. So MakerDAO, symbol MKR, and DAI, symbol D-A-I. You know, I talked about this in my last podcast a little bit, but to uh, recap, uh, DAI is a stable coin, but it's backed by crypto. So it's not the type of stable coin like Tether or USDC or TUSD or all the other stable coins, which are typically, or Gemini uh, stable coin which are backed by a reserve of dollars. So typically you say, you know, I have a million dollars in US dollars and now I have a million of these tokens. And so those are traded about on the different networks. And the idea being that you always have enough reserve currency. Um, you always have enough uh, actual dollars to cover each token that's that's uh, deployed. And of course that requires, you know, trust in the person who's saying I have all these dollars in reserve. And further, if you're, you know, like Gemini, you're, you know, regulated by, you know, I think the state of New York. And so you can claim that the government has audited um, or the government is regulating your reserves. And so you're more likely to be telling the truth. Whereas something with Tether, um, no one's really regulating you and you can fudge the truth, which we can talk about a little bit later in this podcast. So MakerDAO is this completely transparent, um, decentralized sort of system the way that it pegs to, um, or the way that it kind of finds that dollar value, the die, is that people have to put up collateral. And the collateral is, and it's called a collateralized debt position. And the collateral right now is single collateral and it's Ethereum. So with Ethereum, uh, say you have, you know, 100 Ethereum tokens or whatever, you can go lock them up. Um, and that with the smart contract, and this is all, there's a user interface, it's actually not too bad of a user interface. And you can lock up those tokens or that Ethereum, and then you can borrow, or you can, I should say, create DAI based on your position. So say you have, let's call it $100 equivalent. Let's Well, let's call it 100 Ether. And, and whatever that 100 Ether value is, say it's, um, you know, 
uh, let, let's actually just make it simple. Let's call it $100 worth of Ether instead because it's pegged to the U.S. dollar the DAI is. And so you have $100 worth of Ether and say you borrow, I don't know what the reserve requirement is right now, but say you borrow 50 uh, DAI, you want 50 DAI out of that or $50 out of that. So you create 50 DAI and so you have this collateral of 100 dollars worth of ethereum that you've locked up and then you borrow 50 die and then so there's some also threshold for you know uh, a collateral that you need to keep so because if ethereum the price of ethereum goes down say your hundred dollars worth of ethereum goes down to eighty dollars you know you're going to be getting closer to a margin call say it gets all the way down to fifty dollars then you have a problem because if it goes any lower then uh, you're going to be underwater and so there's this mechanism in place for you know margin requirements um, if you there's liquidation sorts of things and so essentially though to kind of not get too into the nitty-gritty details is you're putting up ethereum in in this current state in the future they're talking about multi-collateral systems where you can put up different tokens and different uh potentially different currencies as well um and you can put those up as collateral and then you can borrow against that and create die and so obviously if there's more people locking up their ethereum or locking up their collateral then there's more and more die created if there's more and more die created then you have an oversupply of die potentially and then the market discounts the value of die because there's too much of it and so what then happens is that um, your uh, peg goes down so instead of paying pegged at a dollar or more you're pegged below a dollar and that's the problem that they've been having uh, the other aspect of it is there's this thing called a stability fee that is charged uh, based on you know people uh, borrowing against their collateral so that fee they've been trying to increase, and they've been increasing, I think, on a weekly basis. Now it's a, there, there's a vote for it to be, I think, at about 15%. And so that fee keeps going up to discourage borrowing, right, to discourage people from um, putting more Ethereum, locking it up, and creating more DAI. And so it doesn't seem to be working because I think as of today, uh, DAI is at around 97 cents and it's been oscillating quite a bit, but it's been pretty consistently below a dollar for quite some time. And so they're trying to suck out that liquidity of DAI essentially by raising the fee. Now, some some people are saying that, you know, the fee, uh, changing the fee isn't enough and they need to have a debt ceiling. And so with the debt ceiling, then what would happen is no more uh, DAI could be created once a certain amount of uh, debt was created. So once there was so much collateralized debt, um, it got to some limit, say 100 million or whatever it was, then no more DAI could be created, and so it's capped. Um, and so that would then put a limit on the supply, and then hopefully, you know, the, the value of DAI would start moving up uh, closer to a dollar or a little bit above a dollar. Everyone would be happy, and maybe they could change the stability fee um, uh, to... Uh, fix things as well so uh, now of course you might have to also shift the debt ceiling position and so does that really is that really going to have the effect that you think you know you have these two moving levers of stability fee to discourage kind of creation and then you have kind of potentially a debt ceiling to be like a hard cap um, in theory it seems like just continuing to raise the um, fee would discourage at some point it's just going to really discourage borrowing it's just not going to be possible um, to borrow if the fee is so high uh, but the other aspect of this that's not being talked about a lot is just demand for DAI. So you have to create demand. And it may have been the case that there was a lot of hype. You know, Augur, I think, is using DAI now, too. And so maybe a lot of people were, you know, there's a lot of borrowing or whatever, or maybe it's a new product, or maybe there's a lot of creation. And so whatever caused that oversupply, the demand for DAI 
wasn't uh, equivalent to that. And so if more people were using DAI and more people trusted DAI, then, you know, um, you would have a lot more demand and that supply could be sopped up and maybe you would be okay. But this is kind of also a, a feedback mechanism because uh, what what what's happening is because it's staying below a dollar, people are kind of losing faith because you don't want something that's worth less than a dollar. You know, you want something worth a dollar or more, um, and you want it to be as close to a dollar with as little volatility as possible because it's supposed to be a stable coin. And so, what's happening, I think, is that people are kind of losing faith and becoming worried. And if they become worried, then there's less demand for it. And again, we solve this oversupply issue, so we may be in a position where the the demand is um, shrinking and the supply is trying to shrink with it, but it's just not able to shrink fast enough, and so we're having this issue. Overall, the system's very interesting because it has all of these components, and it has components too where, you know, whether you're a speculator, maybe there's some maybe there's some uh, interesting opportunities with the maker token, which I believe the symbol's MKR. It has governance aspects. We get to vote on changes to the uh, uh, die kind of... Uh, um, stability fee and other aspects and so you know there have been investors like i think andreessen horowitz uh that's invested in uh, maker and so there are there are interesting aspects to be be to owning maker um and you could probably also try and figure out you know when you should buy or sell based on where the die peg is um, maybe the value of maker drops when the stability fee is higher or maybe it, it's the inverse of that and i haven't studied it in depth but there's there's the maker coin there's the die you know peg where is that at there's the price of ethereum because that's the single collateral that can be used there's the volatility of ethereum there's the volatility of maker and all of these things come together to kind of create this decentralized um, banking system that is in the process of trying to figure out, you know, how it's going to work, um, how they can stabilize things. And eventually, you know, the idea being that maybe there's a self-stabilization, maybe there's automated components to it. Um, but it also has a lot of similarities to current central banking where, you know, they'll change the interest rate, right? They have uh, the ability to change uh, the Fed rate, which has an effect on all interest rates in the United States and around the world, really. And so that has a big effect on the world economy. And in this small little microcosm uh, with uh, Maker Dow and Dai, it's kind of, in a way, being very similar where the stability fee is trying to encourage or discourage liquidity. And there's these debt positions, and there might be a ceiling on these debt positions. Uh, and, and in the future, there's also talk of, um, or at least plans, I should say, for creating a savings rate so people who hold die um, get some sort of return over time and things of that nature if they if they do this or that and so it's a pretty complicated you know kind of economic financial system but very very interesting and so i'll be you know continuing to monitor that and look at that of course from a speculation point of view die is not particularly interesting it might be interesting from an arbitrage point of view where you know, if you think that, you know, it's uh, running at 94 cents or something really low or 96, maybe you still believe that it's not going to implode and, you know, blow up and that eventually it's going to move to a dollar in, in due time and maybe, you know, you get a 4 or 6% spread depending on where it's at. So there might be opportunities that... Um, uh, our arbitrage for DAI. For Maker, there may be opportunities in appreciation because if DAI is adopted more and more, presumably the value of uh, Maker would go up. 
Um, and then, you know, there's aspects of Ethereum. Maybe there's a bunch of Ethereum locked up and maybe depending on how DAI and Maker are moving, uh, maybe there's some, you know, opportunities in trading Ethereum or understanding, you know, what the, uh, how much debt is locked up, how much debt is not. And, uh, you know, I believe that's also public because it's in a public address. So you could probably see how much Ethereum is locked, Ethereum is locked up. Um, you, the, the value of these things may also be directly tied to the volatility of Ethereum or the volatility of Maker. And so it, it would be very interesting if someone sat down um, and uh, just kind of did the, ran the numbers, looked at the data and saw if there were, you know, opportunities in that in that world. So overall, interesting stuff, but they're still having trouble stabilizing the, the, uh, the peg uh, and it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens next. So with that, let's jump into the related um, controversy with Bitfinex and Tether. So if you're not aware, uh, Tether is a, another stable coin, but that stable coin is presumably backed by dollars. So and it's tied closely to Bitfinex, which is, you know, the exchange. Um, uh, they're separate entities, I believe, but very, very, very closely um, synced. And so at one point last year, I believe um, there was a lot of controversy because Bitfinex couldn't withdraw and deposits, you know, were weird. And there was all of this issues that they were having with their, their, you know, fiat banks, the ones that held the USD uh, um, currency. And, you know, it's not uncommon in the crypto space for uh, companies to have issues with traditional banking. A lot of times that, you know, traditional banks don't want to do have anything to do with crypto um, kind of companies. And so, you know, they're having some trouble and it wasn't a secret that they're having trouble. But what came out uh, from the attorney general of New York was that there was commingling of funds potentially or, you know, um, uh, promises or transfer of currency from Tether reserves to Bitfinex. So essentially somewhere on the order of 700 million or 850 million got locked up by um one of Bitfinex, you know, either payment processors or banking or whatever else, you know, some some reports say that it was quote unquote lost. I don't think it was lost. I think it was more or less seized by someone. And so let's call it 800 million, 800 and something million or whatever was seized. And so that was locked up. And that's a big chunk of change. And so they're having issues with fulfilling, you know, withdrawals and they're having issues depositing in money because, you know, if the, the banks that they were relying on or the payment processors or whoever else, whatever banking they were relying on, couldn't wasn't working with them then they can't get money in so there was some some real issues that were happening and again like i said this wasn't a secret um but what what's come out is you know potentially some aspects of fraud potentially commingling of funds where you know when they're in this crisis that they basically um either pulled some funds over or commingled funds from tether which again tether is supposed to be this reserve currency um or this currency that has dollar reserves and those should never be touched um, and so if they did, then those were touched and they more or less became a fractional sort of system. So instead of having a hundred million, you know, uh, let's call it $2 billion in USD, they had Bitfinex pulling, you know, say 700 million from them. And they actually didn't have the full reserves um, that they, uh, they were actually co-mingling those or the, you know, Bitfinex had access to those or whatever. They weren't, you know, kind of in a vault like they should be. And so that would have said, okay, well, the dollar peg isn't actually, uh, 
isn't real because there's not a dollar for every coin now. And so that's really the big controversy and, and potential fraud and, 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 and miscommunication or um, misleading their investors and others. Uh, and again, it was a very trying time for them at the time, but it does call into question you know, this counterparty risk and this relying on third parties to be honest about the reserves, especially for these stable coins, uh, especially for Tether, which is, you know, hasn't been very transparent at all with, you know, their their audits and their banking and so forth. So um, that's one reason that, you know, say DAI and MakerDAO are interesting is because everything's transparent. The downside is, you know, it's kind of indirectly pegged to the U.S. dollar based on another asset. Whereas with Tether or USDC with Coinbase or, you know, with the Gemini uh, stablecoin, those, if you actually trust the entity that is behind them, uh, then you can presumably trust that you can get your dollar for every coin that's issued. And so it's just a matter of trust. Now, of course, trust can be abused and trust can be changed. And you can go from a full one-to-one system to a fractional system. And, you know, and uh, people can lose faith in that and all sorts of things. And so uh, there there is some risk to that as well. Um, but, you know, overall, I think the Bitfinex and Tether fiasco um, or at least allegations, I should say, is kind of old news. This isn't new to people who have been in the crypto space. It did hit uh, the crypto prices the last few days. It caused you know a big down spike when the story broke, uh, or I should say a decent down spike. It hasn't been that huge. I, I mean, Bitcoin's still holding 5,000. I think it peaked out at uh, 5,500 recently and is down to 5,200. So not that big of a deal. But the the bigger issue in all that is actually not so much about this commingling of funds. I mean, that's not, that's not a, it's not a good thing for sure. But the, the worst thing is, is, you know, if, if, if there's something worse going on, which is that they're minting tether without the USD backing. And that's something that people have alleged for a bit. Um, don't know if it's true. Don't know if it's uh, real or, or real or false. But the the uh, worst case is say that uh, Tether creates a billion dollars in Tether, and they don't have any additional um, dollars. So say they have two billion dollars in actual USD, and they say that they have three billion in Tether that's issued. So now you've just created a billion dollars in you know out of thin air, which you're saying is pegged, but it really isn't. And so that creates a lot more buying power for these cryptos. You know, it it can push the market up a lot higher because you're essentially creating currency, U.S. dollars out of thin air, creating demand out of thin air and a significant amount of it. And without, you know, a very transparent and auditable and tracked, you know, kind of paper trail with for the or reserve, um, I should say, then, you know, what's to say that Tether can't do that? You know, what's to say that any stable coin can't do that? Now with USDC and US uh, and the Gemini USD, those are regulated and I guess in some regards aud- audited by different folks. And you know they're supposed to be transparent to regulators and that they're checking on those. And so there's some trust in that, I suppose. And obviously historically that hasn't always been, you know, um, an accurate thing to trust the government and trust the regulators and so forth to catch these, you know, crimes or fraud. But that aside, you at least have some, someone else, you know, that can enforce these things looking at stuff. But when you're, you know, dealing with something like Bitfinex and Tether on an offshore sort of thing, uh, you you just don't know. Um, Now, even so, you know, the, the peg for Tether has been pretty, pretty, pretty good so far. I mean, even with all this controversy, it's held really, really close to a dollar. Um, but 
you know, I suppose, like I said before, that's why MakerDAO and Dai are interesting is if you can be completely transparent about your stabilization, about your reserves, about how much collateral there is, and you know what the volatility of all these things are, you know, you can really take a look at the system in a very transparent way and, and make your own uh, calculations on risk and so forth, uh, assuming the whole system doesn't, you know, assuming Ethereum doesn't implode for whatever reason, there's huge bike and volatility, but even then they have uh, some emergency shutdown procedures and ways of liquidating all these other things. So um, they have actually that worked out. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to lose money if it all imploded, but it does mean that um, uh, they thought about the emergency situations. So with that, we're kind of running a bit over 30 minutes now, and so I'll close out this podcast. But all of those three stories with Brave, Bat, Maker, Dow, Dai, Bitfinex, Tether, all interesting, all interesting things and, and a very interesting development, developments both in the advertising sort of disruption with the browser and the uh, uh, decentralized banking and finance and, you know, just stable coins. So check those out, you know, do your own research on all of those. Not a lot of things for, um, uh, you know, speculation on capital appreciation, except for maybe the maker, maker Dow, maybe a little bit of the bat, but interesting technology nonetheless and uh, uh, it's been a very interesting process researching those and I plan to go deeper in all of those over the next several weeks in my own research and uh, um, to post potentially some articles with more in-depth analysis. So with that I will close out this podcast and as always you know make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, follow on Facebook and Twitter And uh, you can always check out the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes as well. And with that, I will uh, see you on the next blockchain podcast.